So during this Advent season, we've been taking the opportunity to get to meet some folks um, who are doing just uh, missional stuff here in our community. Um, today, we're going to be highlighting uh, just the ministry at the guest house and specifically our summer internship program that we have for kind of college age students. One of the opportunities that those folks have is to, is to live in the neighborhood um, while they're going through that internship um, and to uh, get a small uh, uh, stipend there for working with us and so we try to provide some opportunities for people to earn some money while they go through that and so every summer we hire four to five depending on how much money we raise um, interns that will uh, live in the house and do a little extra training um, and so we've got some guests that are going to come and talk a little bit more about uh, how that uh, program has impacted them so Sam come on up Hey, good morning. My name is Sam. Um, I live at the guest house, and I wanted to tell you a little bit. I love the internship. It really changed my life. Um, I did the internship in 2012. That was the first year that Justin led it, and um, I was 24 and not a believer. And the very first night of the internship, you go on a retreat, um, and you kind of share your story, which I had never seen that done before because in my realm of people, you didn't talk about the things in the closet, you left that in them. Um, and I remember I went last, and it was, everyone was talking about when they accepted Christ and how their life had changed and things. And when it was my turn, I'm like, I don't even know Jesus. I like hanging out with you people. Like, who, you know? And uh, <laughs> so back then, um, it was only seven weeks long. But during that time, um, like Sarah Amos and Blair and Kirsten and um, Sarah Kretzer, like, they just wrapped around me so hard and loved on me through some really, really hard things that I was working through. And Justin will tell you one of his favorite stories is um, multiple times in class, I would say things like, I hate you. Like, this is not true. God does not love me like this. He doesn't understand the things that I've done. And Justin's like, he loves you so much and he forgives you and all of these things. So it was just really stinking cool. And last, um, we used to go to people's houses and have lunch because every year we ask for everyone to provide lunches for the interns. And I just also remember that too, of just like so impactful that these older women who, experienced women, sorry, older women is not nice. Um, it's not easy being up front, okay? Um, so anyways, these experienced women would like ask me questions and how are you doing and things like that and what are you learning? And then like I would see them the next following weeks at church and they would follow up with hey you applied for that job what happened and you like had this tough conversation with your friend what went on with that and it was just amazing kind of like what Rob was saying the community at Wellspring was really awesome and I had graduated college but as a young person like it was just really cool to experience that so anyways I just want to let you know it's really awesome and changed my life and with that um, that's a lot of the reason why I wanted to move into the neighborhood and be in the guest house and um, so yeah super life-changing um, so Justin's internship where the college kids will spend three days a week, and it's really investing in themselves um, through their relationship with Christ and then with other Christ followers. Um, and then they serve all summer as well throughout this time. And now it is a nine-week program. Um, and about four years ago, we started the mission track experience, as Bob was saying, where we ask the interns, four or five of them, to like really invest in the neighborhood, move in meet our neighbors, spend so much time down at Food for Kids with Ms. Sheila and Mr. Kinsey and really experience what it's like. So you don't have to go to Haiti for a summer missional experience. You could come right here and see what God is doing and how things are changing. So 
Um, anywho, what we're trying to do with that, what Bob said, the small stipend, with those four or five interns that we are able to hire, they earn $1,000 um, for the whole summer of investing in our neighborhood. And yeah, it's really worth it, and it's really awesome. So that's my experience, and kind of, I was, I've been really privileged to be able to lead the internship the last four years um, with those mission track people. So just getting those in investments, too, now I get to be the older woman pouring back into them. So um, anyways, I wanted to have Mick come up and kind of share her experience, too. So she is going to share. If you want to give her a big round of applause. Um, hi, guys. My name is Michaela, and today I get to share with you my experience at the internship. Um, I did the internship in the summer of 2018. I had just finished my junior year of college and was coming home for the summer. Um, I knew that I wanted to make an investment in my spiritual life, but also in the community of St. Joseph. <coughs> so I actually had applied for the internship the previous October because I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And Sam's kind of my homie, so. Um, um, but yeah, so I knew it would make me a better leader at the ministry that I was doing at Northwest and also a better teacher. Um, so Wellsprings' mission statement is creating a new normal for the next generation. And I believe that the internship is really at the heart of this mission. Because at the time, when I was 21, um, we're making some of the biggest decisions of our lives. Um, it's so important to be engrossed in community and have spiritual life leaders guiding you in those decision-making processes. So for the mission track part of the internship, I packed up all my stuff and moved into the guest house with two other girls. And I had the pleasure of sharing not only a room, but a full-size bed with one of them, Aaron Vaughn. And it was the summer that I learned that I was called a wide sleeper. So I slept like this. So <laughs> she has different feelings about that experience, but I enjoyed it. Um, on a serious note, um, so during the extent of that nine weeks, um, on Mondays we would meet with Sam and we did trauma training. So I learned how to speak um, to someone who had experienced trauma in their own life as well as own, understand my own trauma experiences um, and understand how that affects me when I come into any role or setting. Uh, we spent most of our time simply just being in the neighborhood. Our goal was to meet the people that lived around us and hopefully build those deep, meaningful relationships. So I had the great joy of meeting so many sweet children and walking alongside of them in their realities. Um, it was simply just might look like swimming on Fridays. Um, we spent a lot of time at Food for Kids, um, dinners on Tuesday nights, trips to the park, and then watching a lot of movies when they came over unannounced. So um, I had the chance to also participate in a poverty simulation through Care Portal during this time. And it was just all of these culminating experiences that reminded me and restored in me a desire um, to pursue a career in education um, with the idea that I would work in a title building and be able to work alongside of these students and families who I had gotten to work with in the summer. So I'm happy to say that I graduated on Friday and beginning in <laughs> Yeah. Um, and beginning in January, I am going into the heart of Kansas City, and I will be teaching fourth grade. Um, so the most valuable lesson that I earned from, learned from the internship um, was how to care for and speak truth um, into vulnerable youth. And basically, my whole goal for teaching is to be a champion for students who don't have a champion cheering for them at home. And I think 
we and Sam and this church community does a great job of that um, to our neighborhood. Um, so just I will take that with me forever. And um, it was really beneficial that I was able to work part-time in another job but then also earn money. So that made it possible for me to do the internship. Um, so with your support, you're not only reaching our neighborhood and our community, but um, young adults like me who will hopefully take those things and um, spread that further. So thank you. Wow, she did such a great job there. Um, yeah, so I just, you know, throughout this process of, of the Advent uh, experience over the, the last few years, we've really challenged people to really consider what they're investing their money in at Christmas. You know, the easy path of non-resistance is just to go feed into the commercialism machine of the world um, and, and to spend a lot of money on things that you're going to forget in a year, um, as opposed to investing in people like Michaela, um, who's now going to go and impact um, so many kids and families of the course of her career in education that really got a boost from her time here. So um, if you'd like to, to give to that, there's a guest house table back there. You can put a check in those envelopes and we'll be collecting that money, trying to raise between four and $5,000 to bring some more people into the pipeline this, this summer. So, um, so we're continuing on in our series here with Advent, but also kind of with this God is Stranger theme we've been talking about. Um, and so I'm going to need some, some crowd participation today. Right out of the gate, I want you just real quickly, without thinking, what is the first, some of the first words that come to mind when you think of the Christmas season? Here we go. Rapid fire. Christmas trees. What else? Presents. Presents. What's that? Shopping. Caroling. What else? Okay. What is it? Buddy the Elf. Okay. I had to really... Listen to what that one was. Anything else? Family, yes. What's that? Okay, yes. Anything else? Food, all right, good. All right, so it's pretty easy to, to pop a few of those things out. And if you guys turn on um, the Hallmark or Lifetime channel during the season, you're going to be inundated with movies that have to do with with family and love and hope and all the warm and fuzzy feelings that we love experiencing this time of year, okay? And that seems to match the scene of this baby in a manger, this beautiful child surrounded by a loving mother and father and, you know, the stars and the angels singing hallelujah. We just sang a really pretty song uh, just now about that. So last week we discussed the announcement <clears throat> made by the angel that, that this Christ child was going to be for all peoples. And we talked about how that was strange news to the Jewish people's ears that heard that because they thought that they were kind of the chosen people and that that Savior was just for them. And so then in this visual demonstration of that universal gift of a Savior for all mankind, the Gospel of Matthew, that writer, chose to include the story about the Magi, we talked about how they were kind of like magicians, fortune tellers, uh, astrologers from the east that came to King Herod in Jerusalem asking him, where is this baby that's been born king of the Jews? We've been following his star for hundreds of miles. We want to meet him. Surely he's at the castle, right? That's where kings are born. And Herod was under the impression that he was the king of the Jews, 
right? At least that's the title that the Romans had given him when they set him up to be in charge of the area of Judea um, that uh, Bethlehem uh, was in. And so he was rightly a bit threatened by the Magi's question. And he sent them on their way and asked them to do a favor. He said, hey, when you guys find this, this king you're looking for, um, when you're done, come on back by the castle. Let me know where he is so that I can go and worship him too. Right? Wink, wink. Finally, um, we, we make the connection that, last week we talked about this, that much like Herod's response, that Jesus' presence is a threat to all of us. Right? We're all threatened by Jesus' claim to kingship over us, getting down off the throne of our life and submitting uh, to somebody else's authority um, doesn't come easy. We talked about last week that we all are kind of like little King Herods, right, desperately clinging uh, and dying the slow death of relinquishing control in our life. So the Magi made their way to the infant Jesus um, we saw last week they worshiped and bowed down before him, and then they, they lavished him with these gifts that they had brought. And as the story continues, the Magi are warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod. <laughs> and so they kind of slink out of town under the cover of darkness, and then Herod's really mad now. Um, and he's not just threatened in theory, he, he moves to action. And what, a, what unfolds next is kind of the strange and troubling part of the infant narrative of, of Jesus's life that, that you're not going to see in Christmas plays. You're not going to see in the Hallmark movies on TV. Because what we're talking about is this idea, and we'll see it played out here in a moment, but from the earliest days of humanity, uh, right after the fall in the Garden of Eden, God foretells a great battle unleashed on the world through the presence of sin. In Genesis 3, he talks about this war that will rage between Satan and Christ. And the overarching backdrop of Old Testament humanity, if you read that, that book and from beginning to end, you'll just see a constant themes of division and strife and injustice and war as sin let loose works its way out in the lives of self-centered people. And often that means tribes and nations were caught in the crossfires of other people's sin as well. And, you know, if you turn on the news today, you'll find out that not much has changed with humanity. To put it bluntly, we live in a world at war. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that's battle language. And for his part, Satan had been waiting and planning for the inevitable arrival of this Savior as well. And he'd been kind of lining up um, his minions like Herod to do battle against Christ. As author John Eldred put it in his book, Waking the Dead, he said, The birth of Christ was an act of war, an invasion. The enemy knew it and tried to kill him as a babe. So in effect, Jesus was this warrior wrapped in swaddling clothes. Things at the manger weren't what they seemed. And so it plays out in Matthew chapter 2, if you'd like to open your Bibles there. Page 876. We'll kind of pick up the story where we left off. Matthew 2, starting in verse 13 today. <clears throat> It says, when they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. 
Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So children and families caught in the crossfires of a world at war. So on a physical and spiritual realm now in the story, things are really starting to heat up. And I think it's important for us to remember during this Advent season, this period of, of waiting for the coming of the Christ child, to remember exactly why Christ arrives on the scene in Bethlehem on that starry night a little over 2,000 years ago. Jesus' disciple John described it like this in 1 John 3.8. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. How would you guys describe the devil's work in this world? If you had to put language to it, how would you describe it? What do you see and experience yourself? Yeah. Social media? What, what about it? Okay, it becomes an obsession. It's used as a way to tear people down, for sure. What else? What's that? False narratives? Okay, absolutely. That's where there would be no truth. Like nobody would be happy with the truth. Like someone conflict. Okay. Yeah, conflict and strife, for sure. What else? Bait and switch. What do you mean? Yeah, the bait and switch that the enemy pulls where he entices us with certain things of the world and then when you get sucked in, you realize it's too late <laughs> and, and he's got you and you're addicted or you're, you've given yourself to something that's not giving you back what you thought it was going to deliver, what you were promised it might. Yeah. Uh, I would say things. <clears throat> yeah, letting people just do what they wish, letting their own kind of self-centered desires run wild and which leads to their their uh, eventual demise right at some point anything else yeah back here what's that humans hurting humans yeah yeah absolutely it didn't take long for that to happen all right genesis chapter four <laughs> adam and eve's kids are killing each other right so yeah it's pretty easy for us to to recognize those things and to call them out and so when we see that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, Scripture says that Christ was coming to make all things new. It says that he was coming to set the captives free from the slavery of sin. So from the beginning of time, God was initiating a plan to rescue and redeem our hearts. So what does it mean for humanity that God arrived in the flesh at all, let alone ready to do battle? It means that our hearts were in such a desperate situation 
that the enemy was having his way and a daring rescue was needed. We were losing the battle with sin and flesh. Our little King Herods we talked about last week were resisting the surrendering of our place on the throne of our hearts. And so this strange baby savior comes on the scene ready to do battle for us, which culminated 33 years later in the cross in the empty tomb. A way was made for us to have victory over sin and death in our life. And if you're like me, you feel this daily tension of of what our flesh wants and what the spirit desires for us, right? We, We feel it in us. Paul described this inner turmoil in his own heart like this in Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And so our own uh, beings are kind of microcosms, right? This battle that wages war within ourselves is a microcosm of the, of the grand narrative of what's going on in the world, right? This battle between the flesh and the sin and the spirit and what he wants to accomplish in people's lives. And Herod's brutal attack on those helpless children in Bethlehem is an urgent message to us that we have an enemy that is hell-bent on destroying the work of Christ in this world. And the fact that we as his followers, we are image bearers of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit residing in us (laughs) means that we are now the targets of Satan's wrath. Jesus knows what it's like to have an enemy driven to destroy you, which is why Paul makes it very clear that we have to prepare each day for battle. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Page 1069. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler's against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We live in a world at war for the hearts of every human, and we have a very personal battle to fight for our own heart. We also have a role to play as fellow combatants with one another and for one another. I I, want to kind of just ask you guys um, for just some examples of what do you personally do in your own practice of of faith to to prepare yourself for battle on a regular basis? What are some rhythms or habits you have in your faith journey that you have this mindset that I'm preparing for battle? Yes, sir. What's that? Praying, absolutely, yeah. Praying specifically certain things, right? Praying for protection, praying for power, praying for eyes to see the enemy and what he's trying to do. What else? Yeah, Stacy. Memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture, okay, why? So that it's like, I don't know, 
ready when, when, yeah. Great. So the truth, um, you spend time memorizing scripture so that when you hear a lie, <laughs> you know it's a lie and you're able to um, combat it with the truth. Remind yourself what's true, even with the, the world and your circumstances or, or your friends are, are telling you something, you know what the truth is. Okay? What else? Yeah, Kelly. Yes, surrounding yourself with people who are on the same mission as you are, right? The enemy's tactics are to get us alone. That's where we're most deceived, right? When we're just stuck with our, the thoughts in our own head. So anytime that we're in community like you are today, this is an act of war, an act of preparation for battle, whether you realize it or not. So it's good that you are here, even though Satan threw some snow at us today, right? What else do you guys do? Yes, Zach. Yeah. Yes. Right. Trying to be proactive instead of reactive, right? So when he says put your armor on, after that passage we just looked at, it talked about this armor we put on, that we should do that every morning, right? That we don't go out into the world and take some shots first <laughs> and then decide, hey, maybe I should have a helmet on or, you know, something like that. It's like we can be proactive and... and um, in that, so we don't we don't get pummeled out there any more than we need to. Um, it's good, yeah. Carry the, Carry the message, okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, carrying the message of Christ and sharing that with others. Why is sharing the message with others a means of preparation uh, for battle? Why is that critical to our faith? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In the retelling of the story, the truth gets driven deeper into our hearts, right? Okay? And so it's so important to speak those things that are true. So, great job, y'all. It's important for us to consider this Christmas season the full identity and mission of this baby in the manger. Who was this Christ child? I mean, yes, he was all the things that we generally tend to think of. He was full of compassion and love and um, forgiveness and humility. But he also came to defeat an enemy. He came to go to war. War against our flesh. War against injustice. War against lies and false gods that blind us of our need for him. And now the battle has come to us. And so are we engaging in the struggle? Christmas was an invasion to destroy the devil's work. So as Christ's followers, we are commanded to be like him in word, in thought, and deed. So our inevitable role as followers of him has to be to fight this enemy as well. Fighting for our own hearts, fighting for the hearts of those around us. This is also the message of Christmas. 
a call to arms. And we run to the battle with this comforting knowledge. Again, the Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 4, 4, he says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So we don't have to fear. Herod's attempts to thwart the plans of God by wiping out all those kids in Bethlehem was unsuccessful because God will always have the victory. And this might not be the Christmas story that the world wants to embrace. I doubt right now that there are, you know, a writing team at the Hallmark Channel sitting around thinking, how can we write the next great Christmas war movie? I'm sure that will sell big with the folks out there, right? Nobody's writing that story. But it is the true story of the incarnation of God and his reason for coming if we have eyes to see it. And so what am I asking of you today? I'm simply asking you to just kind of wake up to to the reality of what's going on around us. That every single event that we'll see in Scripture, whether it's Christmas, Easter, you name it, the backdrop of every one of those events is war. It's a constant theme throughout. And so if we are living in this constant scene of war, that there should be a perspective that we have in how we go about our day and our life. Do you wake up each day understanding, maybe not in a physical realm, um, but in a spiritual realm, that you are waking up into a world at war? That ought to change your posture. I'm a big uh, World War II buff, and so I read a ton of books about World War II. And when you read books about people who are actually living in a war, you see that every decision that they have to make day in and day out is filtered through this overarching lens of we're at war. So maybe I don't get married until the boyfriend comes home or maybe we don't eat that food because it's a ration thing and we we don't have enough or we don't buy this now because we're at war. We don't get to travel to this place because we're at war. And everything is fed through that lens. And as Christians, I think we just kind of dive into the Christmas season and, and, you know, it's whatever we make it out to be. And we forget the overarching backdrop of, of what Christ's birth and his coming meant. It signaled an invasion of God into this world to win back the hearts of you and I. And it's eventually leading to another war when Christ comes again for the final time to settle everything. And so we, we waited for that first advent of Christ's coming. Now we're in this second advent of waiting for his second coming when he'll make everything right. But in the meantime, guys, we're it. We're the army. We're the ones that he's counting on to fight for the hearts of everyone around us who needs to know Christ. There's a lot at stake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message this morning. We thank you for just in your wisdom, putting it in Matthew's mind to write out this little narrative that we don't see anywhere else about this story of Herod brutally pursuing you to the point where he's willing to kill other people in hopes that maybe he got you in the midst of it. God, this is a, this is a rough world we live in, battered and broken by, by sin. And Lord, you came uh, to rescue us, but, but you also give us free will. <laughs> and as your followers, Lord, we have to step into this battle mindset 
we have to remember that that time we spend in the word and in prayer and in community and in church and, and in action, God, those are all things that are helping us be engaged and prepared and fighting so that we're not just taking hits and watching uh, other people take blows, but we're being proactive to protect and to, and to fight for and to, to transform people's lives and giving them eyes to see. Only when your Holy Spirit is in us can we truly see the world for what it is. So I pray that you would open our eyes. God, that you would help us to remember, even during this Christmas season, God, that, that uh, you didn't come to bring peace but a sword. You knew what you were getting yourself into, the world you were being born into, and what your mission was. So help us make sure that we remember what ours is as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and stand?